Our second lesson this morning comes from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there. For I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord the God of Israel, The jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our coming Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. <laughs> Today we are continuing in our Advent look at people in the Old Testament who act as harbingers of the Savior, whose lives in some way foreshadow and prefigure the coming of Jesus, giving us glimpses and insights into what he came to do. Today we take a look at the, the person Elijah who was one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, who lived in the 9th century BC in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, Elijah's name means, my God is Yahweh, which pretty much declared what his ministry in Israel was all about. For you see, Israel at the time was ruled by King Ahab. And in order to achieve a political alliance, Ahab married Jezebel, the daughter of the king of Sidon up in Phoenicia, which was the center for worship of the Canaanite god Baal. Now Jezebel brought many priests of Baal with her and provided for them out of the king's coffers, and she was responsible for the deaths of many prophets of the Lord. Jezebel even convinced Ahab to build a house of worship for Baal there in Israel and to begin worshiping and serving Baal himself. 
And so King Ahab led the nation deeply into idolatry once again as they betrayed Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, Baal was the Canaanite god of fertility and weather who was believed to be responsible for the rain and the dew. And that made worshiping Baal a great temptation for the Israelites. After all, you could not grow food or, or survive without water. And since they lived in a region where water was not always plentiful, there was always a temptation to try to hedge their bets by turning to Baal, just in case Yahweh did not come through for them, a temptation that never seems to go away. And there will always be some Jezebel in our lives, urging us to cover all of our bases by turning to Baal for insurance. And surely we're all quite familiar with Jezebel, although she goes by many names. Perhaps you might know her as greed, or vanity, or ambition, or addiction, or anxiety, or loneliness, or lust, or pain, or fear. If we're not walking closely with our God, we are so easily seduced by Jezebel into believing that only Baal can give us life. Of course, Baal too has many faces. And if we're honest, all of us have things that we turn to in desperation when life is not going as we had hoped. For some of us, Baal might be money, which assures us that we can always buy our way out of any struggle or disappointment if we could just get a little bit more. Or some of those bail might be our, our diet or, or your exercise plan that promises to make you more attractive or your wardrobe that promises to make you popular and accepted or your addiction that promises to take away all of your pain or, or your latest political savior who promises to give you whatever you want. It might be your education or your capacity for hard work or your plans to have the perfect family Christmas this year. Whatever it is that you turn to for deliverance when things are not going your way or that you look to provide for you all the blessings you most desire, that is your bail. And as the nation of Israel was sinking deeper and deeper into the worship of Baal, God sends the prophet Elijah to King Ahab, saying, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so for the next several years, not a drop of rain fell in Israel as the nation was hit by a terrible drought. Now we all know what that's like, don't we? For surely all of us have experienced droughts of one sort or another in our lives when the rain of blessing just does not seem to fall. It might be a, a career drought where you just feel uninspired or unfulfilled in your job or maybe you can't even find one. 
It could be a relationship drought where you are struggling in your marriage or with a friendship or you just cannot seem to find that relationship you're so desperate for. It may even be a spiritual drought where you just feel unmotivated in your faith and God seems so far away. Whatever it is and whatever the cause, a drought is always an invitation to draw closer to God, who alone can provide what we truly need to live and to thrive. Now, the drought in our text was sent by the God of Israel as a direct challenge to Baal. Remember, Baal was supposed to be the God of fertility and weather. And so a drought called into question not only his power, but also his very existence. But the drought was also a denouncement and refutation of King Ahab. For you see, in the ancient world, part of a king's job was believed to be ensuring rain and fertility in the land by appeasing the gods. Kind of like how we often associate presidents with the economy. Of course, when things are going well, kings and presidents love to take all the credit for it. But when a drought comes along, whether economic or literal, they always need someone else to blame. After all, droughts expose their impotence, which never sits very well with kings or presidents. And so rather than confessing his sin and his role in bringing about the drought, rather than repenting and turning back to the God of Israel, King Ahab blames the messenger. So Elijah has to go on the run for his life. And God tells him to go and hide out in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. And there Elijah is sustained by the water from a small stream and food brought to him twice a day by ravens. Even in the midst of a drought, the Lord provides for his servant. But eventually, with no rain falling in the land, that little stream dried up. And so the Lord told Elijah, to go to the town of Zarephath in Sidon, which was the homeland of Queen Jezebel and the heartland of Baal worship. Well, when Elijah arrives at the town gates, he encounters a poor widow there who's gathering sticks for a fire. And he asks her to go bring him some water to drink and some bread to eat. And she tells him that she has no bread, only a, a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and that she is going home to prepare it for herself and for her son so they can have one final meal and then die. And Elijah says to her, Do not be afraid. Those great words of Scripture that always mean that God's saving power is close at hand to provide and to save. And Elijah tells her to go and do as she had planned. But first, he says, make a little cake of it for me and bring it to me. 
Then go and prepare some for yourself and for your son. For thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that Yahweh, the God of Israel, sends rain upon the land. In other words, Elijah says to her, bring everything you have to me, taking the risk that there will still be enough, trusting that the God of Israel can do for you what your God Baal could not. That's a lot to ask. But if we want to experience the power of Almighty God in our lives, then we have to decide once and for all what we believe to be the true source of life. Does it come from whatever Baal that Jezebel is tempting us to worship, which always promises so much, even if it delivers so little? Or do we truly believe that the power and the resources necessary for life come from God alone and that God provides for his servants? How we choose to answer that question will determine the lens through which we view all of life. For those who put their trust in Baal, which is really anything other than God, life will always be viewed through a lens of scarcity. And that will tempt you to believe that, that resources are very limited and that there's not nearly enough to go around, that life is a zero-sum game. Therefore, you should be sparing with your sharing, just in case there is a drought and the jar and the jug run out. But for those who choose to believe that God alone is the source of life and that God is generous. Life will always be viewed through a lens of abundance because our God just loves to pour down blessings upon his servants like rain from heaven if we will but surrender all that we have and all that we are to him. And amazingly, this widow was able to take that leap of faith. And she does exactly as Elijah told her to do. She risked everything that she had by bringing it and offering it first to him. And just as Elijah promised, the jar of meal was not emptied and the jug of oil did not fail because Yahweh is a God of abundance for those who put their trust in him. Scarcity or abundance? Which one will define your life? It has nothing to do with how much you have and everything to do with what you believe.
Of course, we live in a world that ascribes to the myth of scarcity, and it will always try to frighten you into hoarding what you have. But if we do that, we will miss out on the abundant life that we are hungering for that can only be found in the living God revealed in Jesus Christ. You know, in many ways, the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath foreshadows the entire ministry of Jesus, but especially that day that Jesus asked his disciples to bring him whatever scraps of food they could find in order to feed a crowd of thousands of people. The disciples, too, had a decision to make about what kind of God they worshipped. A God of scarcity or a God of abundance? Fortunately, they also took that leap of faith and did exactly as Jesus said. They brought everything they had to him, taking the risk that there would still be enough, putting their trust in Jesus. And he took what they offered him, and he blessed it, then he gave it back to them, and they got to share it with the crowd. And the jar was not emptied, and the jug did not fail. As they fed over 5,000 hungry people with 12 baskets left over, more than enough for each of those disciples to eat their fill. You know, in many ways, one of the greatest paradoxes of the Christian life is that it is in giving away that we receive. As Jesus said, only those who who lose their life for my sake will truly find it. But everything in this world, every Baal and Jezebel, tell us that, that resources are limited. And there's not enough to go around, certainly not enough to feed the crowd. And surely a drought is coming. So you should hold tightly to everything you have. But Jesus just keeps assuring us, saying, do not be afraid, but bring all that you have to me. And like that widow and the disciples, we too have a decision to make. We can choose to try to hoard all that we have and stretch it out as far as we can. But that will always leave us starving for the abundant life that Jesus was just dying to give us. Or we can take that leap of faith and offer all that we have to Jesus, trusting that there will still be enough, as he takes what we bring him and blesses it, infusing it with the same life-giving power that raised him from the dead. And then Jesus invites us 
to participate in the miraculous things that he is doing in this world as he transforms our offering into an instrument of his abundant grace. And paradoxically, you discover that the more you surrender to Jesus, the more there is to go around with even a few baskets left over. After all, you just cannot outgive the God of grace revealed in Jesus Christ, who always provides for his servants. He even invites us to his own table to eat. Of course, those who, who come to this table with the lens of scarcity, it, it may not look like much of a feast. But for those who put their trust in Jesus, who have learned to view all of life through the lens of God's abundance, this table is a foretaste of that great banquet in heaven prepared for all whose God is Yahweh, who came among us as a little baby lying in a manger, to put an end once and for all to every drought that takes away life, that we might experience life in all of its abundance. And Jesus has prepared all of this for you. So come, eat of the bread of life that will never fail, and drink of the cup of salvation that will never run out. For with Yahweh, with Jesus, there is always enough to go around. And everyone, everyone, everyone is invited to the feast.